Hey, as I'm getting uh, set up, uh, I wanted to say it's good to be here. The world did not end yesterday uh, like it was supposed to. Some of you might be disappointed that the world didn't end uh, yesterday. Um, But anyway, we're all still here, so that's good. A little feedback going on. Um, And I also wanted to say, this was like birthday week at Lion and Lamb, so uh, today is Danelle and Barb's birthday. They're birthday buddies, so happy birthday. And yesterday was Kevin's birthday, and then this week was Marlene's birthday. So it's like, yeah, so like four birthdays right in a row, which is, uh, maybe that's a sign of the end times, or maybe it's the way it didn't. Okay. Hey, some of you guys know my uh, faith story. Some of you don't, but uh, I grew up Roman Catholic, and so today's message should have been a slam dunk for me uh, because I was an altar boy, believe it or not, um, and I went through confirmation class, went through First Communion, and, and all that. And let me tell you guys, this was the by far the hardest thing that I have had to study and teach on, uh, I think, ever. Uh, so I had emailed Mike something in desperation saying, please just look at this and tell me, am I even in the ballpark at all uh, trying to study Roman Catholic theology on this doctrine? And so this was, it was a rough week. Uh, so hopefully it doesn't show up on this. Okay, so... All right, uh, if you have not been here before, or you're visiting, or you weren't here last week, we're in week two of uh, our five-week series on the five solas of the Protestant Reformation. And so as Mike said earlier, in Sunday school and in the message, we're teaching through the doctrines and the, the issues that came out of the Protestant Reformation, because October 31st of this year... Hopefully everybody knows this, unless you've been living under a rock. Um, It's the 500th anniversary of that event right there. Uh, So 500 years ago on October 31st, Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses on the door of the church in Wittenberg, and that kicked off the Protestant Reformation. And so we wanted to do something about that. We don't want to be uh, we don't want to be Luther centric. We don't want to make an idol out of Martin Luther. But it was a big deal. And uh, so we wanted to acknowledge that. And so we're going through in Sunday school and in the message. And Bill kicked us off last week in the message with Sola Scriptura, uh, which is Scripture alone, and then followed up with the Sunday school about that. Uh, Kent is going to teach next week on Sola Gratia, 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 however you pronounce that, I'm not Latin, um, which is grace alone. And then Mike is going to follow up with two messages on uh, Christ alone and uh, Semper Reformda, which is always reforming, okay? And so I hope that you will come for the Sunday schools and the messages, uh, really so that you get a, uh, a sense of the heritage that we've been given from this, and, and also, more importantly, that you get a deeper sense and appreciation of God allowing the gospel to be recovered and, um, and what that means for us. Okay, Because I know studying this stuff, uh, even as an altar boy, I never knew any of these things. And just in studying it, it gives me a deeper appreciation for the biblical doctrine that was rediscovered at the Reformation. So I hope that you come to do that. Okay. Now, to 
today we're talking about, okay, that's the, the five solas there you can see. And today we're talking about sola fide, which is faith alone. And Martin Luther said that uh, this was the doctrine on which the church rose or fell. Okay, so it sounds pretty important. Now to us, 500 years later, this might seem like hyperbole. Uh, how can this one doctrine about faith be so important that the church rises or falls on it? And, and some of you may be asking, well, why are we talking about a 500-year-old doctrine anyway? Um, you know, Bill alluded to it in Sunday school. There are other issues facing the church, right? So we are in a fight over the inerrancy, the authority, the historicity of uh, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, whether the, the scripture is actually inspired, whether it's authoritative. Uh, we're in a fight over what it means to be male and female. Uh, who would have ever thought that, right? Uh, are we created male and female? Or are we not? We're in a fight over that. We're in a fight over whether sexual complementarity is necessary for marriage or if it's not. So there's lots of issues facing the church. So why are we talking about this 500-year-old doctrine? And is it really so important? And, and so my answer to that would be, is really what we're talking about when we're talking about justification by faith alone, is we're asking the question, how can I be made right with God? All right, what, what does it take for me to be made right with God? And so I don't think there's a more important question that we could ask than how to be made right with God. And the other one, uh, Bill alluded to this also, is that uh, not many Protestants believe or hold to this doctrine. I'm buying all my slides here, guys, sorry. Okay, so, so Bill talked about the Pew, the Pew Research Survey. Uh, that was just released this past April. And the results are not great. Um, so this is, uh, they, did a, they did the survey and they asked European Catholics and Protestants these questions, and then they asked U.S. Catholics and Protestants these questions. <clears throat> and this is available if you just Google Pew Research, you'll find this survey. It's pretty, pretty easy to find. And so what they found was that overall, if you take all U.S. Protestants, only 46% believe that you can be saved by faith alone. All right? Yeah, so let that, let that sink in for a minute. 46% believe you can be saved by faith alone. 52% believe that you can be saved by a combination of faith and good works, which is a historically Catholic doctrine. Okay? The, the numbers are a little bit better for white evangelicals, which is most of us. 67% believe uh, that it's faith alone as opposed to 33. But still, those are, those are not great numbers, right? We would want to see numbers in the 80s or 90s. Um, and the numbers are almost exactly the same for people who believe that Scripture is the only source of authority uh, for man, Okay. So this, the, the numbers are almost exact. So you can see how one, Bill was talking about today, one follows from the other, right? If we don't believe that Scripture is authoritative, well then, when Scripture teaches faith by justification alone, we're not going to believe that either. All right? So that, so that underscores the importance of it. So clearly, uh, 
we have not guarded our heritage very well, and we, we haven't taught it very well. And, and one of the reasons this is important is uh, justification by faith alone, is, it's not only a dividing line, <clears throat> excuse me, it's not only a dividing line between Protestants and Catholics, but it's a dividing line between Protestant Christians and every other world religion. Okay? So we make the claim that you're justified, you're made right before God by faith in Christ alone. That's what this whole controversy is about. Okay, well, that's a dividing line between us and everybody else. All right, if you're a Muslim, uh, it's a combination, like Catholicism, it's a combination of good deeds, uh, acts of charity, and hopefully when you die, Allah is in a good mood and you get to go to heaven. If he's not, well, you're, yeah, I won't say what you are, but you can guess what you are. Um, you're out of luck. All right? Same thing with Buddhists. All right? Buddhists have to kill all natural desire uh, so that they can achieve nirvana. All right? Hindus trying to remove themselves from the material world. So you can see every other world religion is about man doing something, okay, so that he can earn God's favor or he can do enough so that God will will allow him into heaven. Christianity, Protestant Christianity, it stands in stark contrast to that. All right? And that's why it's important. Uh, we could go home now, because that's why it's important that we talk about these things. Okay, I've said justify and justified a few times, and I want to uh, uh, kind of give a more formal definition, and so this will kind of help us, hopefully, as we go through and look at this. Uh, this is the transliteration of the Greek word. Uh, I can't pronounce the Greek word, so I think it's dikaio. Uh, that's the closest I can get to it. I'm not a Greek scholar by any stretch. But, but anyway, what it means, the, the term means to pronounce, accept, and treat as just. All right? And so when we talk about justification by any means... Uh, we're talking about how does a person get God to pronounce, accept, and treat them as just. That's what we're talking about. All right, now one of the dangers in talking to you guys is I'm preaching to the choir, right? Because you guys are all sitting here going, well, duh, you learned that in Sunday school. Um, and so I want you to use your sanctified imaginations for a little bit, Okay. Just for a, little, for a little bit. Let's pretend that we're not believers in here. We don't know any of this stuff. And uh, this is the first time you're hearing this. Okay? So uh, try, to, try to play along with me. And, and let's go through this and see if we can answer this question. Okay. And before we answer this question, we have to go back. Why do I need God to pronounce, accept, and treat me? As just. Okay, so we, we have to ask that question before we can answer this one. All right. And the reason is, is because we all know, we all know that there's a God. Whether you acknowledge God or not, we all instinctively know that there's a God. Okay? And we don't acknowledge God as God. And so Romans 1 18 and 19 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men 
who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. And, and Paul's going to go on and say they, they didn't acknowledge God, and God turned them over to a depraved mind. But we all know that there's a God. All right, We don't acknowledge him as God. And so it follows that if there is a God, that at some point uh, we're going to have to face that God, and we're going to have to deal with that God. All right, and, and David, David's going to hone in on our problem pretty well, uh, okay? Uh, we don't acknowledge God, and so we stand guilty before God. And David's going to say, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? So if God counts our sins against us, we're, we don't have any hope. We're lost. We need something to happen in our favor. Okay, and and he's going to end. David's going to anticipate the solution, not the exact solution, but he's going to anticipate the effect of the solution. All right, he's going to say, "Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity." That's what we're after. We're after forgiveness of our sins. We're after God not to count our iniquity against us. Okay. So, all right. So, in order for that to happen, there's one of three things. Uh, there's actually four, but we're not going to talk about universalism. Uh, so, just in your sanctified imagination, just pretend that doesn't exist. So, there's there's three things that need to happen. Either I need to do something or some things on my own that will cause God to declare me just. Uh, or option two is God and I need to do something together, uh, right? Remember, God says he helps those who help themselves. It's in the Bible. Just check in to make sure you're still awake. Some of you are. Some of you are not. Okay? So God and I need to do something together to make that happen. Or three, God needs to do something to cause that to happen. All right? To declare me just. So let's walk through these options um, and see which one matches up with reality and which one matches up with Scripture. Okay, so option one. Option one is for me to do something or some things uh, in order for God to uh, accept, declare, and treat me as just when it comes to the, to the judgment. Okay, and there's two things I could do. Um, I could keep the law. God set down his law. I could keep the law perfectly. Uh, that's one thing. Or I could do a bunch of good stuff, or I could do one really good stuff. Maybe I could save somebody's life, or um, whatever that is. And, and at the end, what I've done will tip the scales in my favor. All right. Well, right away we run into a problem. If you look at Scripture. Uh, and it's because, one, we can't keep the law. Right? It's impossible for us to keep the law. And if you look at Acts 15.10, this is the Jerusalem Council. And so Paul has been ministering to the Gentiles, and uh, some 
men have come from Judea to Antioch, and they've told the Gentile disciples, well, you need to be circumcised in order to be saved. Essentially, you need to keep the law in order to be saved. And so Paul and Barnabas, they go um, to Jerusalem. They want to talk to the elders at the Jerusalem church, and they want to submit the gospel that they've been giving to the Gentiles just to make sure that there's no doubt. Paul doesn't believe that, that you need to be uh, circumcised. All right? But he wants to submit and do all due diligence to make sure that he's not uh, giving a wrong gospel. So he goes down to Jerusalem, and they have the, uh, the Jerusalem council. And this is what Peter says at the end of it. Um, and he says this, not to Paul and Barnabas, but he says it to the men that had come and said, yeah, I'll be circumcised. This is what Peter says. He says, now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear. All right? On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way that they are. Right there, Peter is saying, we Jews who had, uh, we had the temple, we had Moses, we had the law, we have all this stuff, we have not been able to keep the law. So if we can't do it with all the heritage we've given, the Gentiles can't do it either. They're saved uh, by God's grace in the same way that we are. Okay? But since we're using our sanctified imaginations, let's hypothetically say we could keep the law. What if we could? All right? What if you move to some remote monastery on a deserted island in the middle of the ocean, removed yourself from all temptation, and you kept yourself under tight control, and you kept the law. Would God honor? Would you be able to keep the law? Well, sorry, but no. All right? All right, in Romans 3, Paul was talking about the, the relationship between uh, law and, and faith, and he says this, for no one will be justified in his sight, meaning God, in his sight by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. All right? It says the same thing in Galatians 2, 15 and 16. We are Jews at birth and not Gentile sinners. And yet, because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. Okay? Can't be done. And the writer of Hebrews is going to go even further. Um, he's going to say, Since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the reality itself of those things, it can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. Otherwise, wouldn't they have stopped being offered? Since the worshipers purified once and for all would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in the sacrifice, there is a reminder of sins year after year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Okay, so the law cannot justify. And, and we don't have time to get into the, the, the reasons for that. One is that uh, if, we could, if we could do works of the law and we could be justified by them, God would be our debtor. Okay, God would owe us something. And, that, and that's not what we see in Scripture. Okay, um, we would have reason to boast Paul's going to make that argument in Romans 3. We'd have reason to boast if we could keep the law. 
All right? And God's not going to allow for us to have reasons to boast. So it's, it's impossible to keep the law. We can't do it anyway. Uh, and if it was, the law wouldn't justify us. All right. Okay, there's another one, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. All right, so then, so option one is closed off to us. So option two is for God and I to do something together. And this is the Roman Catholic, the Roman Catholic view. Um, okay, I really need you guys to pay attention to this. And then we're not going to spend a lot of time uh, discussing the minutiae of Roman Catholic theology, but I do need to to go through it a little bit so that we can look at some of the errors. Uh, so just bear with me. Uh, we're all swimming in the deep end of the theological pool here, uh, but we'll get through it. Okay, so Roman Catholics view justification as a three-stage process. Right? There's initial justification, there's progressive justification, and there's final justification. Okay, we're going to look at these in turn, and then we'll, we'll talk about the Protestant response to them. Okay, so initial justification is man, by the grace of God, understands that he is a sinner and in need of redemption. Okay? And through the sacrament of baptism, so you're, you're baptized, and that sacrament by virtue of you doing that sacrament, you are infused, the word in bold there, keep, keep that in your mind, you're infused with Christ's righteousness. All right? And you come up out of the water, you, no, it's not water, is it? Sprinkling, right? You're sprinkled. Never mind. Not even up out of the water. Um, see, this is my brain is mush. Okay, so you're, you're sprinkled, but going through that sacrament, Christ's righteousness is infused to you uh, the guilt of original sin is removed, but the stain of original sin remains. Okay, and so what the, the stain of original sin is what we'd call our our sinful nature remains. Okay, you guys got that clear as mud, right? Everybody is a crackerjack Catholic theologian. Okay, now you can feel my pain, right, guys? All right, a week. A week with this, because I love you, is why I do this. Okay? Uh, okay, progressive justification. All right, so the, the, the guilt of original sin is removed. You still have the stain of it, so you're still able to commit sins. All right, you're still able to sin. You're able to commit venal sins, which are your average, everyday uh, sins. You don't pay a parking ticket, or you tell a white lie, or, um, yeah, I don't know, you, you say something mean to somebody, or something like that. Okay, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, uh, what do they call it? Yeah, it's not the big seven, which we're not going to go into. But anyway, it's not a serious sin. Okay, it's not murder, or it's not adultery, or it's not uh, things like that. Okay, so it's venal sins. You take care of venal sins by going to see the priest, you confess, and at the end of that confession, the priest actually says, I absolve you of your sins, and then uh, you have to do some sort of penance. Uh, so the priest will tell you whatever kind of penance you have to do. So you either have to do uh, X number of Hail Marys, X number of Our Fathers, uh, and pray the rosary or something, whatever. I 
can't remember that was like I think I blacked out all that from from way back but anyway you have to do that okay and so by observing the sacraments of confession uh, communion and penance remember you have infused righteousness in you through those sacraments and through works of charity which is what the Roman Catholics say uh, are good works you are building that merit Okay, you're, you're increasing your merit. You're increasing that justification. All right? And you're increasing it because everybody's going to die at some point. And at the time of death, what you want is you want to have had enough merit built up through all those things so that uh, when you die, you're either allowed into heaven immediately or if there's not enough merit, then you have to spend an undeterminate, an indeterminate, excuse me, time in purgatory. Okay? I would love for you guys to be able to see your faces right now. Uh, we're so, we're going to do the GoPro. It I keep saying that. We're going to do it one day. All right? Okay. So, um, and, this is, and this is what the controversy right here. This is what the controversy with Tetzel was all about. Okay? So Tetzel was saying, uh, you have loved ones and they're in purgatory because they don't have enough merit to get to heaven, right? And if you give the church X number of ducats, then the, the Roman Catholic Church will, will, will produce a document that says, this person has filled their merit and they're eligible for heaven. Okay? Basically, Tetzel was straight up extorting people for money because they didn't know any better. And Martin Luther wasn't having it, okay? And so that's what, that's what kicked this whole thing off, uh, was right here. The idea of earned merit and purgatory. All right, so. All right, now, I want to say a couple of things. Actually, I want to say more than a couple of things, but I want to say a couple of things. All right, so let me highlight a couple of really significant areas of disagreement with and really it's at the core of what this controversy is still all about okay so Roman Catholics would say that you're infused with Christ's righteousness so you're actually given part of Christ's righteousness uh, when you're baptized okay and they would say that because to say otherwise is a legal fiction because they would say the Protestant view is God declares you just, uh, but you're not really just. And so it's a legal fiction, right? There's some merit to that idea, right? Because we know we're not really just. God declares us. Uh, God declares us just. But what does God declare us just on? Is it based on an infused righteousness that we nurture through the sacraments and, and all that stuff? Or is it, as Protestants say, is it an imputed righteousness? Okay, an impu imputation is another big theological term that just means uh, something is credited to my account. And, and what is it that's credited to my account? All right? It's not my... Is, yeah. It's Christ's righteousness. Christ's righteousness is, is, is counted to me. There's actually a theological term. It's double imputation, right? 
And, and that says that, that Christ got my guilt and my sin, I get Christ's righteousness. All right? That's what we hold to as Protestants. That's an imputation I could, I could agree with. But not that Christ infuses me with his righteousness. Okay? And, and we don't see that anywhere in Scripture, that we get an infused righteousness. All right? Um, 2 Corinthians 5.21. All right? Uh, in him... In him is the righteousness. All right? Uh, Romans 3, 21 through 3. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe since there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Um, This is Paul saying, this is a great chapter in Philippians. So Paul, if, uh, I didn't put all of it up here, but Paul was going through his pedigree, right? Paul says, if anybody could have been justified, it's me. Uh, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was born circumcised on the eighth day. I've kept the law. As to the law, flawless. As a teacher of the law, a Pharisee. Uh, As to zeal, I persecuted the church because they were teaching heresy. And Paul is going to say, all of that is rubbish. Okay? And the actual term is dung. It's actual, it's excrement is what Paul is going to say. Okay? Uh, and he's going to say, I don't want to be known having a righteousness of my own. I want Christ's righteousness. And what Paul is talking about there, not, not, as, not as an infused righteousness, I want uh, God to look at Christ's righteousness, Christ who perfectly fulfilled the law, who was sinless. That's the righteousness I want Christ to look at, not a righteousness that I get on my own. Uh, I didn't put it up here. Romans 5, okay, is a fantastic passage. You should study that. Uh, it's where Paul contrasts the two Adams. So he, he says, you know, sin came through one, uh, and the free gift of God came through the other. All right. Uh, okay. So that closes off options one and two. It's It's not... You guys remember what they were? Or is it, well, it was too long ago. Um, option one is I do something on my own to get God to declare me just. We've seen that that doesn't work. Option two is God and I do something together to declare me just. And we've seen that that doesn't work. Okay? I can't be infused with God's righteousness. I can't nurture it. Um, so that leaves us option three. is for God alone to do something to declare me just. And that's what we find. That's what we find in the scripture. All right. Um, we already talked about 2 Corinthians 5.21, right? Uh, that God made Christ sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. We've already talked about we've already talked about most of these scriptures, right? So in talking about the other two, the only conclusion that's left to us is option three is for God to do something. All right. Um, okay, you can see more. Ephesians one. It it it's all over, all over the scripture. If you just look, all right. But it's only, it's only God that can do that. It's only God's righteousness that can do that. Okay. The other thing I would say. Um, 
and, and again, not come to Sunday school and we'll talk more in depth about these. Or maybe you guys won't after this. Maybe nobody will show up for Sunday school after this. Uh, we're going to have cat videos next Sunday. Because <laughs> everybody loves cat videos, right? So come for cat videos. And I'll slip in justification. No. Okay. Um, totally forgot where I was. Why did I do that? Oh, okay. So the idea of earned merit and purgatory, okay? And we're not going to spend a ton of time on that. Um, I don't find purgatory anywhere in the scripture. The closest thing I could sort of maybe come to was the idea of Sheol in the Old Testament. But even that wasn't really close. So I, honestly, I don't know where purgatory comes from. Maybe Mike has a better idea. Um, but, but the idea of earned merit, you don't see that anywhere in the scripture. And, and that just begs more questions to me, right? Well, who gets to decide what's meritorious or not? Who gets to decide um, what's good enough? Or, or how if I'm in purgatory, other than paying money to say a special mass or something, how do I get out of purgatory? I mean, that sounds a lot like reincarnation or something. What, what do I get to do in purgatory that earns me more merit? Uh, so there's just a host of unanswered questions uh, that Scripture just doesn't say anything about. Okay? And, and the last... As, as we're winding down, um, you know, to, to believe in an idea of, of earning merit, um, there's, there's no peace there, guys, right? Because, because what if you're doing things that aren't meritorious? What if you're not doing the right things? What if you're really, you think you're earning merit, but what if you're really not? Okay? In contrast, if I depend on Christ and his faithfulness, all right, then I have peace and I have joy. Because Romans 8 is going to tell me, um, I, think, did I, I think I put this on. Yeah, okay. Um, listen, if it's any way dependent on me, there's a chance that I'm going to screw it up and it's not going to work. If it's all dependent on God, there is no chance that it's not going to work. None. All right? And this is what Romans 8, 30 through 33 is going to tell us. And those he predestined, we're not going to talk about that, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an an accusation against God's elect? Because if you're in Christ, who is going to accuse you? Satan can accuse you all day long. Right? But it doesn't it's not gonna do any good. God is the one who justifies. Alright? And that is something you can hang your hat on with no doubts, no worries, no thought of I need to do this or I don't need to do that. You can trust. Put your faith and your trust in God, and it's done forever. Not a chance of it being otherwise. Okay? 
So returning to Martin Luther's question, this is the doctrine the church rises or falls on. You know, I think Martin Luther was right. I think he was right. And, and the reason I think he was right is because, because we're talking about people. And we're talking about the difference, really, between life and death. One way doesn't lead to life. It may seem like it leads to life, but it doesn't. And one way leads to the assurance and the security of life. And so I think Martin Luther was right. I think, I think this is a, a big deal. This is a doctrine which the church rises or falls on. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much that, uh, Father, one that you sent your son to die for us, dear God. Uh, two, dear God, that you gave us your word uh, so that we can know what Christ did for us, dear God. Three, that we can um, put our faith in Christ and we can um, know, dear God, without a shadow of a doubt that we are saved, that we are eternally secure. Father, that you... Uh, proclaim us uh, that you declare us and that you treat us as just when we put our faith in Christ thank you dear God for that indescribable gift for your great great love for us dear God dear God Father pray for anyone here who doesn't have that assurance dear God that today would be the day that they know that um, Father that we would we would understand and know that we're just not talking about dry doctrines but we're talking about the way of life and we're talking about the way of death dear God and that you set them before us. All we have to do is, is by faith appropriate that, dear God. Father, let us make much of you as we worship in song, dear God. It's for your glory we ask it. Amen.